It has been said, who we come to imagine God to be eventually comes to define our, our spiritual life and in many ways how we live our lives. To that point, students of the Bible quickly discover that through, through story and through historical record and, and through poetry, the Bible offers a, a wide range of images that help us to describe and, and to interpret and to imagine God. As Michael Rhea notes in his book, The Hiddenness of God, the Bible describes God as a, as a shepherd, a mighty man of war, the owner of a still, small voice, Israel's king, a bridegroom, a betrayed lover, a consuming fire, God also appears as a wrestler facing off with Jacob. God calls from a, a burning bush to Moses, interrogates Job from a whirlwind, and is referred to as a maternal comforter of Jerusalem. In your own life, how do you imagine God? Qualities, what, what characteristics, even what personality traits would you attribute to God? Is God for you a shepherd, a, a warrior, soft-spoken, a king, a bridegroom, someone who is at times jealous, a consuming fire, a wrestler, one who calls to you, one who interrogates you or extends comfort like a mother? And how does that particular image that you have of God in your mind shape your spiritual life and even shape how you live your life? This summer, our series is called The Power of Parables. And as we mentioned last Sunday, parables are often thought of as, as a message, as author Malcolm Muggeridge put it, that, that extend to us the spiritual insight. The messages are often presented also as riddles, inviting us to figure them out. We find parables in the Jewish scriptures and in the New Testament, and they comprise about a third of Jesus' teachings. This morning we conclude our summer series with a parable that Jesus told in the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. So what treasure are we talking about here exactly? In the verse right after our parable, Jesus offers another parable about a man who seeks fine pearls. So it's likely that's the kind of treasure to which Jesus refers, something that can be hidden and, and found in the dirt, one that possesses immense value, like a pearl. 
And so what is the message? What is the riddle? I wonder, have you ever played Apondin Raskinda? It's a popular game in Greece about the second century. How about Escondite? They played in Spain. This is my favorite. Suma Gongogel. The name in South Korea. I'm talking about the game of hide and seek. Studies show almost every culture and time has a version of it. You know how it works. One person covers his or her eyes and counts to 10, counts to 20, counts to 100. While people hide, then that person tries to find everyone. Barbara Brown Taylor, the former priest and noted author, once made this fascinating observation. She said, one way we can imagine God and one way we can live our lives is to perceive it as a divine game of hide and seek. It's interesting, isn't it? Have you ever thought of God hiding God's self? Have you ever thought of God being interested in a game of hide and seek? Now, to be fair, the Bible at times teaches the absolute opposite of that. As Michael Ray points out, God is everywhere, we are told in the Bible. Where can I go from your spirit? Asks the psalmist. Where can I flee from your presence? And the implied answer is nowhere. God is anywhere and everywhere we might choose to go. But on the other hand, when we delve into the biblical narrative, we also discover that while God might be everywhere, God is at times also hard to find. In fact, it seems now and again that God chooses to be hard to find on purpose. In her fascinating book, The Silence of God, Taylor notes, for example, the phrase Hester Panim, the hiding of the face, occurs more than 30 times in reference to God. The major prophets use it, the psalmist, the writer of Deuteronomy. Taylor also points to the work of Hebrew scholar Richard Elliott Friedman, who discerns the steady disappearance of God in the Hebrew scriptures. For example, after the Tower of Babel, God is never again visible to humankind. Yes, God's backside is seen by Moses on Mount Sinai. Yes, the Israelites hear God's voice. But the Israelites tell Moses, we don't want to hear God's voice again. Let God talk to you, and then you, Moses, talk to us. From that moment, God never speaks to the Israelites again. And then even angels get scarce in Scripture. They tend to Elijah, but then really no one else. And from the book of Hezekiah on, the world described in the Hebrew Bible is one where God has largely retired, leaving human beings to interact with themselves. I wonder, has that ever been your experience? God was at one time present in your life, 
but then receded. And today, if you're honest, at times God just doesn't seem to be around. Philip Yancey is a professor at Emory and recently published a piece in the New York Times where he asked the question, where is God? Not just personally, but in in our world today. He writes, in the light of all the stress and anxiety in the world caused by rhetorical mass, destruction and distraction, political myopia, party-line politics, white nationalistic fanaticism, I'm possessed by angst, writes Yancey, that is at times unbearable. Those feelings yet led Yancey to to a sense of searching, of painfully screaming into the night for God's existence to to be revealed, for a face-to-face moment. But then Yancey laments, you, O God, of course, remain hidden. Which brings us back to our parable. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy sold all he had and bought the field. Now, some parables are stories, like the prodigal son, and some are short and pithy. And to understand the, the meaning, the riddle of the parable, it's helpful to select our vantage point inside of it. For example, in the parable of the prodigal son, we can stand as the father welcoming home the son. We can stand as the elder son jealous of the attention the father gives the younger son. We can stand as that son who has made bad decisions and longs for forgiveness. Our parable this morning offers two vantage points. We can first imagine ourselves as the one who who finds that treasure in the field, this pearl. Scholars note it's significant this person didn't own the field. He might have been renting it from the owner. He might have been a day laborer. Some parables offer these characters who are wealthy, but this is not one of those parables. But this character does have a moral compass. Note he doesn't steal the treasure, but he puts it back where he found it. He goes home, empties his piggy bank, sells his plow, his tools on on Bible eBay, and then with his life savings, buys the field. And it's not hard to imagine the delight this person felt in finding that pearl, And that, teaches Jesus, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Surprise and joy as unexpected blessings appear in the least likely of places and the least likely of situations. You see, while there might be this steady receding of God's voice and presence in the Jewish scriptures, that doesn't mean that God has departed that God has left the universe, so to speak, and has gone for good. But rather, it appears in the Bible, it's, it's more like that phrase, absence 
makes the heart grow fonder. The takeaway from God's reticence, in other words, appears to be we are still asked nonetheless to keep our eyes wide open as we read in our passages for the morning. But if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and your soul. And from Proverbs, I love those who love me, says God, and those who seek me, find me. Which brings us to the second vantage point in our parable. It's important to consider for a moment. How did that treasure get there? To ask what kind of person would hide a pearl in a field hoping someone would find it. Like most families, the Barger Elliots enjoy an Easter egg hunt. After church, our family comes home and our children quickly pick up an Easter basket and and set off on this frantic quest to find more Easter eggs than their siblings. And this week, as I was reflecting on that process, it occurred to me the whole point, the goal, is that every Easter egg is eventually found. An undiscovered Easter egg does nobody any good. And if we stand inside this parable and imagine ourselves as the one who hid the treasure in the field, we can see the intent of the hiding was for it to be found, for the day laborer to discover it. An undiscovered treasure does nobody any good. And that reality, says Jesus, is like the kingdom of heaven. You see, while there might be this steady receding of God's voice and and presence throughout the Jewish scriptures, and and while it appears now and again God pulls a Hester Panim, a, a hiding of God's face, God still can't help but play a divine game of hide and seek. For in the Gospels we read how in the time of Jesus angels return. God's voice is heard saying, this is my son, listen to him. In other words, the Gospels remind us there is always new treasure hidden in the fields waiting to be found. You've heard Lynn and I talk about it before in the Barger Elliott house. Our pearl is a blue lobster. A few years ago, we stumbled upon a blue lobster in an aquarium in In Nantucket, if you remember, coming across a single blue lobster is about a one in a million event. The next day in Provincetown on Cape Cod, we stumbled upon two more blue lobsters arranged on a pole under a dilapidated dock. Both of those blue lobsters were cleaned somehow and placed there by someone waiting for them to be found. Today, those blue lobsters sit in a leather box on my desk at home. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, says Jesus. So in these last few glimmering days of summer, I pray we all 
as we walk and we work in the fields of our lives, that we might keep our eyes open for that treasure that the hidden one longs for us to find. It could be the pearl of an amazing new opportunity we we didn't expect suddenly to just appear before us. It could be the pearl of a new friendship, a, a relationship that invites us to rediscover laughter and, and hope and purpose and love. It could be the pearl of faith, the recognition, while at times God is hard to find, God's presence is indeed everywhere. And as we look for that pearl, let us remember two things. First, it will be something of such value like that day laborer, we'd be willing to give up everything to hold it in our hands. And second, when we see it, let us remember to praise the one who waits for us to find it. Because the delight and joy we will feel in our heart, the one who hid that treasure in the first place, feels the exact same way. And it is that feeling, teaches Jesus, that describes God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.